Sirens and gunshots rang out in the distance, but that was nothing new. This was the favela. Sirens and gunshots were as common as chirping birds or a whistling breeze. To 23-year-old Mateus Mayello, March 12, 2018 was just like any other night. Mateus was walking home from his girlfriend's place. The sirens and shouts grew louder. He thought nothing of it. When he turned the corner and saw the police van bearing down on him, he realized that this wasn't like any other night. But the realization came too late. Before Mateus could move, the police in the van opened fire on him without warning. Mateus was an Afro-Brazilian, and his death wasn't widely reported on by the white, upper-class Brazilian news media. But word of his murder spread across Twitter. Rio de Janeiro Councilwoman Marielle Franco tweeted out her condemnation of the police's brutal tactics. The very next day, Marielle was gunned down in the street. The murderers have never been found. Welcome to Assassinations on the ParCast Network. Every Monday, we examine the famous assassins of history and the men and women who were assassinated. I'm your host, Bill Thomas. And I'm your host, Kate Leonard. This is our single special episode on Marielle Franco, a councilwoman from Brazil who was assassinated on the Rio de Janeiro streets in March of 2018. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you are listening. It really does help us. We also now have merch. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Marielle Franco was a rare, inspiring success story in Brazilian politics. In Brazil, most politicians are wealthy white men. She stood out as a black queer woman from a low-income background. She fought human rights abuses in Rio de Janeiro, where people of color are at risk. They frequently become the forgotten victims in the crossfire between police and drug cartels in the favela streets. In fact, a black person is murdered in Brazil every 23 minutes, and these murders are frequently committed by police. Brazil has a long history of corruption and state-sponsored violence. Marielle made powerful enemies who didn't much care for how she rocked the boat. She was assassinated on March 14, 2018, while driving away from a political event. Her murder sparked national protests and international condemnation. Her death also may have affected the Brazilian presidential election that took place just three months after her assassination and placed the country under the leadership of a radical far-right regime. Marielle Franco was born on July 27, 1979, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. She lived with her parents, Marielle and Antonio, and her sister, Aniele, in a Rio favela. A favela is the Brazilian Portuguese term for a slum or shanty town, and they are widespread in Rio. 
Many of the people who live in favelas are descendants of the more than 4 million slaves that were brought to Brazil between the 1500s and 1888. Race has a complicated history in Brazil. Unlike in the United States, mixing of the races was encouraged as a way to whiten the African slave population. Despite this, the culture of European or white superiority still persists in Brazil. Today, despite the fact that 54% of Brazilians identify as diverse or mixed race, the demographics of government positions are overwhelmingly white. The favela where Marielle lived with her parents was a huge complex of slums called Marais. It is one of the poorest and most violent neighborhoods in Rio. During the 1960s and 70s, Brazil was run by a junta, or military dictatorship, that tried to gentrify the favelas to make money off the valuable real estate. This failed, and by the end of the 1970s, Brazil, the junta, was replaced by more moderate leaders. For a while, it seemed like the country might be moving more toward true democracy. However, the country's economy collapsed soon after, leading to widespread inflation and debt. Despite this national turmoil, Marielle remembered her early childhood as a happy one, even after she got her first job at age 11 to help her parents pay for school. But in the late 80s and 90s, the favelas became increasingly populated with gangs. The lawlessness of the favelas allowed the cartels to run drugs through the communities with little opposition. By the early 1990s, drugs and gang violence were commonplace in the favelas. On the worst of days, Marielle and Agnelli would have to miss school because of one of the shootouts occurring just outside their home. Even on the days they made it to school, they'd have to step over fresh corpses to get there. Marielle was raised Catholic and considered the church to be an important part of her life. However, while she was a talented student, she lacked a strong direction in her teenage years. She spent more time partying with her friends than focusing on her studies. When it came time to apply for colleges, she realized that she didn't have the grades. Like many in her situation, Marielle felt that she would be stuck in a life in the favelas. Then, another surprise almost derailed her plans for her future. At 18, Marielle became pregnant, and she planned to keep the baby. In 1998, she gave birth to a daughter, Luyara Santos. Luyara's father didn't stick around for long, and soon Marielle found herself a single mother living with her parents in one of the most dangerous areas in the world. Her prospects seemed dismal. She got a job as a preschool teacher to support herself and her daughter. The job paid minimum wage, about 200 US dollars a month at that time. She spent the next few years struggling to care for her daughter and scrounging together what money she could. Conditions in the favelas were getting worse. Paramilitary groups were moving in to combat the rise in violent gang activity. However, these militias proved to be as bad as the cartels. Soldiers charged innocent residents steep extortion fees in exchange for protection. Life in the favelas only became more dangerous for those who lived there. As Luyara grew older, Marielle knew she owed it to her daughter and to herself to pursue her dreams of going to college and making a better life. She started free college prep classes at a center meant to improve the lives of people from the favelas. 
While still working and supporting her daughter, Marielli won a scholarship to the prestigious Pontifical Catholic University of Rio. Though she relished the opportunity, it was there that she first experienced the extreme racial disparity in Brazil. She was one of only two black students enrolled in the university at that time. It became more and more clear to Marielli that the political and socioeconomic systems of Brazil were stacked against people like her. Also around this time, Marielli experienced a tragedy that would shape her destiny. One night, while walking home, a close friend of Marielli's was killed by stray gunfire in a shootout between police and cartel members. The senselessness of it all shook Marielli to her core. She understood that no one should have to live in conditions like this. She realized that her dream of a life beyond the favelas was something that should be attainable to all Brazilians. She knew that with her intelligence and work ethic, she might actually be able to do some good. Marielli earned her bachelor's degree in social sciences in 2002. As her career was beginning, her personal life also took a turn. In 2005, she took a fateful trip to Marais with her daughter. It was on this trip that she met Monica Benicio. Monica still remembers the first moment she saw Marielli. Monica was sitting on her suitcase by the van that her friends were taking to the beach. Marielli was late, which Monica would later find out was a common occurrence. When Marielli finally arrived with her daughter, Luyara, the seven-year-old immediately ran to Monica because she was holding a stuffed animal. The two struck up an intense friendship. They shared a similar background and spoke of their dreams of overcoming the odds and making it out of the favelas. For a year, their relationship continued as friends, but one night they shared a kiss. Monica later recalled that because of their religious upbringing and lack of exposure to the gay community, they hadn't even realized that they were falling in love. They kept the relationship secret for seven months, eventually letting a close circle of friends know. After two years, they told their families, who were resistant to the idea of the women being together. The LGBTQ community in Brazil is severely underrepresented, partly because of the country's deeply Catholic roots. Monica and Marielli were often too scared to hold hands in public. It is a common and incorrect belief in religious Brazilian society that lesbian women can be made straight. Monica and Marielli particularly feared a horrifying practice called corrective rape or a sexual assault meant to convert someone from gay to straight. Their relationship was strained by these social pressures. They broke up many times to try to make relationships with men work, but they kept returning to each other. At this time, Marielli was starting to realize her dreams of becoming involved in politics so she could work to improve her community. As a black queer woman from the favelas, she would be a rarity in Brazilian politics, but she believed she could make a difference. Marielli became the congressional consultant to Marcelo Freixo, a state representative for the Socialist Party. Freixo was a history teacher who had actually taught Marielli in college prep classes. Marielli began collecting signatures for his campaign, which focused on education and improving the lives of people in the favelas. Freixo was a member of the PSOL, the Socialism and Liberal Party, a far-left political party founded in Brazil in 2004. 
The PSOL is in favor of labor rights, increased spending on health, education and infrastructure, and decriminalizing abortion and marijuana. Because of the PSOL's views on abortion and marijuana, it struggles to attract lower-income Brazilians who are likely to be Catholic and hold more conservative social beliefs. The PSOL is popular among more affluent, liberal Brazilians, particularly residents of large cities and the intellectual elite. In 2008, Marielli assisted Freixo with an investigation into the militias operating in the favelas. It was one of the highest profile cases that Marielli had ever worked on. The national fame she gained as a part of the investigation kick-started her career in Brazilian politics, where she used her platform to continue the fight against corruption in the government and militarization in the favelas. It was that crusade that eventually put a target on her back. We'll cover the detail of Marielli and Freixo's crusade to take on the militias after this. Now, back to the story. In 2008, Marielli Franco assisted Deputy Legislator Marcelo Freixo in his investigation of corruption in Rio's militias. This was a huge move for Brazil. Until 2008, the government agencies that controlled the militias had operated under the air of respectability, even as the costly drug wars drained Brazil of its money. Marielli knew she was right where she needed to be, fighting to end the militia's dominance over the favelas, including the one where she grew up. Freixo's report ultimately proposed the arrests of 225 people from all levels of government. It was a major win for justice in Rio. Freixo and Marielli had even uncovered close ties between the militias and local politicians who were profiting from the continued violence in the gang wars. The case brought Freixo, and by extension, Marielli, to national attention, which wasn't entirely a good thing. Freixo began to receive death threats, eventually requiring a protection detail. Marielli, however, did not receive protection. Still, she worked for Freixo for several years and became a part of his administration when he was elected as a state representative in 2009. There was still much to be done to improve life in the favelas. Though Freixo and his team had succeeded in exposing corruption within Brazil's police, they hadn't been able to actually do away with that corruption. The people who were arrested were quickly replaced and the world of the favelas went on as it had for decades. By the end of the first decade of the new millennium, the favelas were seen as completely separate cities from Rio proper. The drug kingpins had taken the land as their own and established their own territories. The leaders of Brazil could no longer tolerate this level of despondency. Brazil was on the national stage. It had been announced as the site of the 2014 World Cup and the 2016 Olympics. In preparation for the global attention these events would bring, Brazil created the Pacifying Police Units, a new form of militarized police. The PPU was among the most violent iterations of the militarized police that the country had ever seen. It seemed as though the work Marielli and Freixo had done had been for nothing. She wasn't deterred, though. Marielli continued her education at the same time, receiving a master's degree in public administration from Fluminense Federal University in 2012. 
Her master's thesis discussed the PPU and Brazilian law enforcement's violent struggle to retake the favelas. Marielle focused scrutiny on the PPU after the disappearance of 43-year-old Amarildo de Souza in 2013. De Souza lived in the favelas and, like many others, just tried to keep his head down and avoid the violence around him. He was last seen by his wife on the night of July 14th. De Souza left to run an errand. He had the misfortune to walk right past a PPU raid in his area. The police claimed they were searching for drug traffickers, but despite a complete lack of evidence, they grabbed De Souza and brought him in for questioning. PPU officials later claimed that after they questioned De Souza, they released him. However, it seems that the cameras in their offices malfunctioned right at the time they claimed to have let De Souza go. He remained a missing person for two months. Officials finally had a break in the case when PPU members were caught trying to bribe De Souza's neighbors to say he was a drug trafficker. In the end, 24 members of the PPU were charged with De Souza's murder, though his body has still never been found. Another bittersweet victory for Marielle. She knew she could do more. In 2016, Marielle considered a run for the Rio de Janeiro City Council. Monica, Marielle's girlfriend, was initially against the idea. She knew that Marielle had already drawn unwanted attention from the corrupt politicians and police, and running for city council would make her even more of a target. But Monica also knew that she couldn't hold Marielle back from her destiny. After Marielle officially announced her candidacy, Monica even became her unofficial stylist. Though Marielle already stood out as a black queer woman working in a field dominated by men, she came to be known for her vibrant wardrobe and style choices. The vividly colorful dresses and bright scarves that Marielle wore on the campaign trail were largely Monica's idea. Despite the fact that 1,500 people ran for the same position, Marielle rose above the pack. Her years of visibility in the favelas worked in her favor. She received over 46,500 votes, the fifth highest vote total for any candidate. She was the only black woman on the council and was quickly a star of the PSOL party. Other PSOL candidates had trouble reaching out to lower income Brazilians because they came from a different class. But people in the favelas saw Marielle as one of their own. Marielle used her platform to wage difficult political fights. For example, abortion in cases where the mother's life was in danger had nominally been legal since the 1940s, but in practice, they were still very difficult to obtain. Women frequently turned to black market abortions, which led to a high maternal mortality rate. Marielle fought to pass new laws to protect the rights that were already in place. As a woman from the favelas, she also understood concerns the mostly wealthy, mostly male city councilors did not. She brought a bill to the council to keep daycare centers in the favelas open for longer hours so that mothers would have opportunities to work or study at night. She also began an awareness campaign for sexual harassment and sexual violence and started a program to secure free assistance for low-income housing construction. She tried to pass a day of lesbian visibility in Rio de Janeiro, but the bill failed to garner enough votes. But while Marielle was inspiring hope on a more local scale, nationally, 
people were losing faith in their politicians. Still, August of 2016 was a bright spot for Brazil as Rio hosted the Summer Olympics. Despite some infrastructure missteps, such as inadequate housing for foreigners, the games were considered a success. Also in 2016, Marielle and her girlfriend Monica started living together, along with Marielle's 18-year-old daughter, Luyara. By January of 2017, Marielle was ready to make things official. She bought a ring with beautiful pink stones and tickets to a samba dance show. Marielle contacted the band, asking for permission to come on stage during the show and publicly proposed to the love of her life. But the band refused, possibly due to the fact that Marielle would be proposing to her girlfriend. Not one to give up, Marielle took Monica to the show anyway. In the middle of a song called Go Out With Me, Marielle placed the ring of pink stones in Monica's hand. Monica cried with happiness and accepted Marielle's marriage proposal. Monica was thrilled the engagement went the way it did. While the public proposal on stage was certainly in keeping with Marielle's outgoing personality, Monica was shyer. The engaged couple adopted a black and white dog together and decorated their modest apartment. On one wall, Monica painted a mural of Frida Kahlo and African-American activist Angela Davis. They planned to marry in September of 2019. Throughout 2017, Marielle continued to fight for the disenfranchised in her community, but crime in the favelas continued unabated. By 2018, the city of Rio was so broke that it couldn't even afford to fix its police cars. The police were more than under-equipped to handle the favelas. So in February of 2018, President Temer, who was still in power despite his conviction of campaign fraud, ordered the military to take over the favelas to stem the violence. Many saw Temer's decision as a way of deflecting attention from his low approval rating. In March, the military moved in, beginning a 10-month-long intervention. But that month actually saw a 24% increase in both violent deaths and civilian deaths. When gang members were interviewed about the impact of the military presence, they were unfazed. They did not see the young green soldiers as a credible threat. Many residents of the favelas actually preferred the gangs to the military or the militias. If the gangs were left alone to deal drugs, they weren't violent. When the military or police got involved, civilians got killed. The government thought that they could subdue the gangs with a show of force, but the gangs were much more woven into the fabric of the favelas than they realized. The gangs had even built a sort of infrastructure into the favelas. After years of neglect from the state, the gangs became the de facto government. The gangs gave the favelas a sense of stability, and if the gangs closed schools or businesses during times of conflict, favela residents would respect their decision. Marielle was a fierce critic of the military intervention and served on a city council commission to oversee it. Few had thought that there was anything worse than the PPU. The occupying military proved them wrong. Citizens lived in fear of the military, who rode down the favela streets in tanks and would fire indiscriminately from helicopters. Marielle wanted to address the violence in the favelas, but thought that the military only exacerbated the problem without doing anything about the underlying issues, such as income inequality and lack of education. 
Those were the causes that she wanted the government to devote time and resources to fix. In March of 2018, Marielli protested the deaths of three young black men who were killed in the favelas by the military. On March 13th, she posted on Twitter about the death of the third man, quote, another homicide of a young man that could be credited to the police. Matias Mielo was leaving church when he was killed. How many others will have to die for this war to end? End quote. The next morning, Monica and Marielli prepared for the day like usual. Monica was running a little late for work, though, so she didn't have time to prepare food for Marielli to take into the office. That afternoon, Monica visited Marielli at her office, which wasn't routine. Marielli had specifically asked for Monica to stop by to help her redecorate the space. They talked for a little while, and then Marielli escorted Monica to the elevators. They rode the elevator up and down multiple times because they were having a hard time saying goodbye to each other. Finally, the elevator operator asked Monica if she was getting out, and she did. She looked back at Marielli as the elevator doors were closing, and Marielli smiled and blew her a kiss. Monica returned to the office where she worked as an architect, and Marielli attended a roundtable discussion called Young Black Women Moving Power Structures. As Marielli left the event, she texted Monica to let her know that she was on her way home. There, Monica prepared for Marielli's arrival by lighting candles and incense. She knew Marielli would be stressed from work and wanted to create a calm environment for her. Marielli got in the car with her driver and press secretary and headed home. But at 9 p.m., as Marielli's driver guided their car along a road in central Rio de Janeiro, another car pulled up alongside it. Marielli's car had tinted windows. It would have been impossible to see where she was sitting from the outside. But the men in the other car knew exactly where Marielli Franco was. When they pulled out their guns and aimed, they didn't miss. Marielli was hit four times in the head. Her driver, Anderson Gomez, was shot three times. Both died immediately. The press secretary escaped with minor injuries. Amidst the outpouring of grief that followed Marielli's assassination, a burning question remained. Who was responsible for her death? We'll discuss the immediate fallout of Marielli Franco's death and the potential long-term ramifications after this. Now back to the story. Marielli Franco was murdered on March 14, 2018, when a car pulled alongside hers and opened fire. She and her driver were both killed instantly. Back at the apartment, Monica waited for her girlfriend. It was normal for Marielli to be late, but still, Monica decided to call. There was no answer. She continued to call, growing more worried. Finally, a friend called. Monica's first question was, where's Marielli? The friend refused to answer and told Monica that she needed to go to the front door to let in a second friend of theirs. Monica hurried to the door and let her friend in. Not wasting time, Monica demanded to know what had happened and was told that Marielli had died. There has still been no formal arrest for Marielli's murder but investigators were able to make some conclusions in the weeks following the attack. 
In the favelas, violence like this can sometimes come about as a tragic byproduct of robberies gone wrong. However, Marielli's purse and jewelry had been left with her body after the shooting. Robbery was likely not the motive. Marcelo Frejo, Marielli's mentor, was among the first to suggest publicly that Marielli's death had been a professional hit. The theory tracked. Of the nine bullets fired at Marielli, eight hit their target. That's particularly noteworthy because Marielli's car had tinted windows, meaning the shooters had to have known exactly who was inside the car and where she was sitting when they opened fire. It soon became painfully clear that the car used by the killers had been tailing Marielli for days. Witness statements revealed that the car the killers used had been seen outside of Marielli's house. The day she was killed, the car had been waiting near Marielli's car, anticipating her arrival. Also anticipating Marielli's movements, someone with access to local security cameras. In the days before Marielli was killed, security cameras along the route that Marielli's car took from the event back to her house were disabled. Clearly, whoever had planned the assassination had inside knowledge of Marielli's schedule and knew how to evade a police investigation. Suspicion naturally fell on the leaders of the militias, but there was little to be done on that front. Militia leaders were closely tied to prominent politicians, and any attempt to investigate potential suspects in the murder was met with bureaucratic opposition. Forensics backed up the suspicions. The bullets from the crime scene were quickly identified. They came from a batch that was traced back to federal police. The police claimed that the ammunition had been stolen from a post office, though even the head of Rio's homicide division acknowledged that the killers were experts. The fact that the bullets came from a federal supply might be significant. If the militias were involved, they would most likely have been local police officers, not federal. The federal bullets might signal a connection to the military, or they could simply have been passed around the black market. Bullets from the same batch had been used when police officers massacred 17 people in 2015. Furthering the evidence of a conspiracy, misinformation. In the days following Marielli's murder, false information spread online about her death. Even members of the government, including a local magistrate and a federal deputy, tweeted that Marielli's death was a result of her involvement in criminal activities. President Temer used her murder to justify further military intervention in the favelas, saying that her death proved just how necessary it was. Marcelo Freixo fought back against these claims and established a website to refute the fake news stories. But still, the investigation and public reaction were muddled. However, the motives were clearer than the people involved. In the immediate aftermath, a few possible motives behind Marielli's assassination emerged. First, she served as an inspiration to many of Brazil's lower classes. Her political party had previously struggled to reach out to the favelas, but favela residents connected to Marielli, considering her one of their own. She might have been seen as a threat to Brazil's established, largely white, political elite. Second, she was a frequent critic of the militias that operated within the favelas, extorting money from residents and often killing those who stood up to them. 
Marielli had been on the militia's bad side since 2008 when she helped her political mentor, Marcelo Freixo, with an investigation into their practices. While Freixo might have been the militia's preferred target, he was always securely guarded. Marielli was much easier to reach. And lastly, she criticized the Brazilian military's occupation of the favelas, which began a month before her murder. In the days before her assassination, she had specifically called out the murder of three young men by the military. However, her death only served to bring further attention to the plight of the favelas. News of Marielle Franco's death spread quickly via Twitter and led to an international outcry and protests in New York and Paris. More than 40 Brazilian expats let us sit in outside the White House in Washington, D.C. Celebrities and well-known activists, including Ava DuVernay, Donald Glover, Naomi Campbell, and Jesse Jackson, signed a letter calling for an independent investigation into Marielle Franco's death. The investigation made some headway in the months after the murder. In July of 2018, after a tip-off from an anonymous source, police detained former military policeman Alan Moraes Nogueira and former fireman Luis Claudio Ferreira Barboza on suspicion of being in the car that fired on Marielli. But both men were eventually released, and Marielli's murder remains unsolved. Of course, given what we know about Brazil and Marielli, it seems likely that some mixture of militia leaders and corrupt politicians had a hand in organizing Marielli's murder. But even with the evidence linking the bullets to the police, there are still thousands of possible suspects. And with no leads beyond that, it is currently impossible to accuse anyone based on what we know. Many saw Marielli as the future of Brazil's government. They put their hope in her, and her death was a huge blow. If Marielli, a high-profile politician, could be gunned down with no consequences, then what hope was there for anyone else? It's impossible to know for sure what would have happened if Marielli lived, but she certainly would have been vocal about Brazil's recent presidential election. Her assassination might just have been the last straw for many of Brazil's disenfranchised people. She represented hope, and it was taken away. Due to the economic downturn, ever-present security issues, and especially the left's corruption scandals, the far right emerged to reclaim Brazil. On October 28, 2018, uber-conservative Jair Bolsonaro was elected president with 55% of the popular vote, succeeding Michel Temer. Bolsonaro's views are in stark opposition to Marielle's. He admires the military dictatorship that ruled Brazil from 1964 to 1985 and supported their widespread use of torture. He is also virulently homophobic, associating being gay with pedophilia and said he could never love a gay son. He's anti-abortion and believes that women should make less money than men because they can get pregnant and might need to take time off of work. During his campaign, he promised to fight political corruption, despite the fact that when he was in Congress, he hired his own wife as his secretary and gave her triple the normal salary. He only fired his wife when the courts ruled that nepotism in government was illegal. 
Improving security in Brazil was also a major part of his platform, no doubt incorporating the very tactics that Marielle fought against. If the purpose of Marielle's assassination was to send a message that questioning Brazil's status quo would not be tolerated, then it seems that message was received. In the aftermath of the election, violence against the LGBTQ community in Brazil has already increased as people with anti-gay views have felt emboldened by Bolsonaro's victory. But Marielle's sister, Aniele, and fiancé Monica have said publicly that Brazil's gay community won't be forced into the shadows. They're frightened, but they'll continue to fight. Monica continues to live in the apartment she shared with Marielle. Luyara moved in with her grandparents for support. Now they are left to grieve. The process is made even more difficult as her killers and the motive behind her murder have yet to be discovered. With the change in government leadership, answers may be even more difficult to find. Still, Marielle Franco will be remembered throughout Brazil and the world as a fearless leader, spokesperson for the disenfranchised, and symbol for hope. Maybe someday, her memory will inspire the kinds of changes she fought for. Thanks for listening to Assassinations. We'll be back next Monday. You can find more episodes of Assassinations, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Assassinations was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Assassinations stars Kate Leonard and Bill Thomas. 